One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Can you hear me? One, is this this mic the wrong way around? One, two... One, two, three, four, one, two. Is that good? One, two, three, four. Okay, good. This is Paul Hawksby. This is Sam Delaney. And this is the H&J Daily, some of the best bits of this afternoon's show. Well, you'll hear from me and Sam, of course, as usual. But we had Rick Wakeman in. Yeah. The former Yes keyboard player and uh, rock god. And What uh, a compelling man. He's fantastic. You could, mm. Honestly, you could, do, you could do three hours with him. He'd never run out of stories. Yeah. He's, he's had quite the life. And he's, uh, he's always great value. And he's got a new album out and he's touring. And uh, he loves his football, uh, as you'll hear. Nice little story from his time in a football over in the state. So we hope you enjoy all this. <laughs> Our two teams take each other on at the weekend, uh, West Ham and Spurs. But you've. You're going to be working, aren't you? Working work. in this building. You've yeah, I'm going to be working on. over on our sister station, Talk Radio. Yeah. Uh, sometimes you've got to do it, haven't you? That's I was right. gutted. I was really looking forward to the game, but you've got to, you've got to take the work. Yeah, so we're going to find I out. I won't the... let the no. uh, the wage weigh me down, though. No, that's a good, yeah, the price. Do you know though. what the real problem is? What's that? I've, I've done this shift before over on Talk Radio, so four till seven is what I'll and be doing. And the games are on. The games are working. on, and it's on in the studio on your screen. Yeah. It's distracting. Sure it is. And you're not doing a sports show as No, such, it's a news it? show. So you can't even justify talking about what you're watching. <laughs> so, um, you know, I hope the talk radio bosses aren't listening. Yeah. I've got to say, it's going to... I'll lose 5 to 10% of my usual high standards of broadcasting. Well, quite possibly, Especially yeah. if West Ham start winning. Yeah, well, that's the trouble. You're going to be halfway through a serious news story and you yeah. look up at the screens because we have the games coming in and you're going to be going, oh, ah! Oh, we're doing well, it. Yeah, is that, well, what about if it's a sensitive story? Oh, yeah. That's, you, sometimes you, you have to be very sensitive. You can't suddenly go, yes. Yes, exactly. If, if, if West Ham go 1-0 up against Spurs, I could absolutely ruin it. So yeah, we'll yeah, just yeah. have to keep an eye on that. Tune in, it because it could be like dramatic <laughs> it, stuff. It, it could be, yeah. If you go, mm. Even if you're at the game, yeah. uh, tune in. I love the Karen Brady saying that uh, West Ham would be willing to buy the London Stadium under the right circumstances. I take that's the circumstances that we pay for it. We've got a deal. It's a once-in-a-lifetime deal that yeah. we would like to pitch to the British public. Yeah, that's it's it. your chance to own a slice of history. <laughs> that's it. yeah, that's yeah. the way we'll pitch it. That'd be fantastic. We, can we all pulled off Stranger bit. Things, like a crowd, like a crowdfunding. We we'll crowdfund the purchase of the stadium. That sounds, that sounds like in many money. ways, Paul, the taxation system is like crowdfunding. Yes, yeah, it's it just is, involuntary. That is very true. So, um, a thing that's really taken my eye—they're not particularly sport, although it may go down the route of sport. You're seeing Danny Dyer is uh, going to popularise um, popularise uh, history in this country. Oh, good. He's doing a new TV series in which uh, he makes history. 
more accessible for yeah. people. So if you don't like history at the moment, mm. who better really to get you into the subject of history than uh, than Danny Dyer? He's going to he's basically you know, he's going to put on sort of doublet and hose yeah. and do the sort of yeah. thing. Do he, the old Cockney done. strut. Do the old Cockney, the Cockney strut. strut, but dressed in historical costume. I'm very much hoping Terry Alderton, who did a very fine uh, impression of uh, mm. Danny, returns to YouTube to do a series of these history programs. Yeah, it's like sort of Simon Sharma. Meets sort of Ray Winston, isn't it? I imagine it's quite an interesting... I once attended, talking of sh- Yashama. Oh, yeah. Um, I was at a BBC party once. Mm. Where, and aye, and aye. It's a, I, it was, I've only been once. They've never invited me back. Okay. And they do a party every year where it's just the people who are on screen. And at the time, I'd just made a documentary BBC Three. So wow. somehow... You got in. I got a ticket. So the only people there on the whole are like, you know, so Lineker's over there. Jonathan Ross was over there when he was still on BBC and Orisette. I find myself standing in a circle. Yeah. You know, when you sidle up to a circle, try to involve yourself in a conversation. Mm. In my case, doesn't succeed. No one knows who I am, right? <laughs> in this continent. So I like... Um, did they widen the circle for did that thing? Was there a small no. opening or were I you was, on the outside I was hovering, yeah. trying to break in. No one made the space. Oh, that's not it good, was, is it? And I think it was pointed. It's like being in the war, isn't it? It's trying to, trying to push somebody else out of the war. It right? was like that. It was, it was very much like that. Yeah. And I didn't have anyone to do that thing of kneeling down behind one of them. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You kneel down behind Angela Rippon. I'll give her a shove. Yeah. <laughs> and then, and step then into you just sidle in. Yeah. Sharma was there. Oh, yeah. And someone was drunk enough. I didn't know who this person was, but it might as well have been Danny Dyer because they actually said the words to him, Sharma, you want to get your head out of the past and get it in the here and now, mate, which I thought was great advice to a historian. This is the sort of stuff I think mm. Danny's, he's, Danny's going to do, but it is an interesting concept, isn't it? I mean, he's going to have things like sort of saying, talking about the 100 years war, we be going, 100 years? Shut up. I can't get my nut round it. They'll be saying, it lasted longer than 100 years. Longer than 100 years? What do they call it the 100 years war for? It'll be all that, won't <laughs> Yeah, it'll be, it'll be like, absolutely it'll, brilliant. It'll just, spell it I mean, I've seen way. him do his show on aliens and another one on ghosts. Yeah. And when he does turn his attention to like subjects outside of his comfort zone, yeah. it's very entertaining. Well, okay, well, good. Well, I'll, I'll certainly give it a crack. I just he's going to put his own unique spin on a subject I'm kind of interested in anyway. So uh, we'll see what happens. Well, what period do you want him to start with? Well, I, like I ancient know. history, the <clears throat> Romans, the Greeks. I've seen him in a couple of pictures here. One of uh, one of which he's look at there. He is. He's uh, he's fully yeah. Elizabethan. Oh yeah. So he's going to start he with a bit it? of Elizabethan. I you want can't to see dress him do... like that in faces, can you? I, I want to see him do the Romans and describe them as a right-handy little mob. That's right. <laughs> and there, there was a tear up at Agincourt. It'll be all that Absolute sort of Absolute handy mob went yeah. all over the world. How, how would you like to see uh, Danny Dyer approach history talks for <laughs> listeners? Let us know this <laughs> afternoon. There he is. He's in the kind of Henry V suit of armour as well. So he's going to cover the ground. He's going to cover the whole of history. Uh, it's going to be fascinating stuff. So anyway, let us know. Talksport.com forward slash H&J. Text to 81089. Kevin Keegan and the Masters of Disguise. You've been devouring Kevin Keegan's brilliant autobiography, haven't you? Sam? It's a great book. Yeah. It's full of like uh, revelations so it's yeah. also very funny mm. because Kevin Keegan yeah is you read it and you're like god what an amazing bloke Kevin Keegan is he's been powered by a sort of a, a mad optimism and energy mm. and enthusiasm and positivity his whole life throwing himself into everything he's done had a more success when you read it all in the book you realize god he, he had so much success as a manager people remember newcastle but what he did at fulham and city with their promotions was really impressive mm. stuff yeah anyway the most important thing in the book is that it emerges that kevin keegan's favorite thing to do yeah when he's not playing football is to disguise himself he loves disguises in fact he goes as far as to describe himself unironically in the book as a bona fide master 
of disguise. He, he actually he, says, I, I am writes, a master of disguise. I am a master of disguise. <laughs> and there is no way he is joking when he says that. If you type in the word, because I, I wanted to talk about it on today's show, so I, I've got the book on my Kindle here. Yes. And you can do a search. You can do a word search. And so I've typed in the word disguise, right? Mm. It's a long book. And, I mean, I showed it to you before we came yeah. on air. The, the Kindle's memory can hardly keep up with yeah, the yeah, amount yeah. of mentions of his disguise. So is this, basically, he would walk around and get noticed by people. So he wanted to be relatively incognito. There's different reasons. So yeah. the, the book opens with him in disguise, wow. right? And he's going back to St. James's Park for the first time since he fell out with Mike Ashley and left the club mm. in extremely acrimonious circumstances. But there's someone there on the sort of staff, the stadium staff, who's retiring. I think it might be a scout or someone like yeah. that. And they'd really like Kevin to be there. And he says, I'm not really welcome in the stadium. And they said, well, we'd really like to be here. So Kevin being Kevin says, I don't think I can make it, but keep an eye out for my friend who might be there to give a little <laughs> message on my behalf. So how elaborate, I mean, is it just a baseball cap? How elaborate are these? Is Very it like full, elaborate. full well, kind of prosthetics? I or? mean, you know, he talks about it. Um, here's one where he goes on holiday to Disneyland with yeah. his family. Mm -hmm. And he says, I've never turned down an autograph in my life, but I was conscious that... Laura and her little sister, that's his kids, Sarah, were missing out on all the fun. So this time my disguise came as an American tourist. Wow. I bought a Green Bay Packers top from a souvenir stall. <laughs> I picked out some glasses with mirrored lenses. Yeah. And I rounded mm. it off with a pair of Bermuda shorts and a baseball cap that had a grey ponytail dangling out the back. Right. This is about the 70s, right? Late yeah, 70s. yeah, yeah. I looked a right prat, to be honest. Then I went to get some drinks from the supermarket and the next person in the queue tapped me on the shoulder and said... Any chance you could sign this, Kevin? Right, so, so the end of every yeah, disguise story... He calls himself story, a master of disguise. He calls himself a master of disguise, but the end of every story is him always being spotted yeah. and identified. Yeah. Uh, I've got a ton of these. We'll do some more we later so, in the show. Have you ever seen a celebrity attempting a disguise? And he always tells that story about uh, Steve McFadden, of course, from Easties. And uh, he, he saw him once in a baseball cap pulled down. He said... Baseball cap pulled down over your face does not make you look like somebody completely different. Everybody could see who it was. So if, if you see someone in yeah. a baseball cap yeah. pulled down or a baseball cap and sunglasses, the first thing you think is yeah. that's a famous person in disguise exactly. because it's overblown for a yeah. normal person. Exactly. Uh, you can wear a baseball cap if you're not famous and dark glasses and you will get attention because people will assume you are. Yeah, well, that's true. It makes you look like a celebrity. It does, yeah. So if, you, if you've seen a celebrity, a sporting one ideally, trying to disguise themselves and not get noticed, how do they go about it? And did you break their cover? Uh, or did you see it broken? The Hawksby and Jacobs Daily Podcast. Paul Hawksby, Sam Delaney uh, here on TalkSport. Coming up in the second hour of the show, we were chatting to author Steve Hill, who's been long-listed for the Sports Book of the Year with his... Uh, tale of a, a season in the life of a Chester fan. Uh, he'll be telling us more about that and the cast of uh, thousands he encountered along the way. Um, also, we'll catch up with the Moose here from some of the managers out of the weekend's game. And Sam, uh, one of the other things that uh, it was in the interview that Arsene Wenger did with uh, the German newspaper Bill, we started saying, I'm ready to go back in January. We discussed it earlier with mm. John Cross, who wrote a biography of Arsene. Um, he also started talking about players and the, the way the balance of power has shifted between um, players and clubs these days. But he said fans have become more international. He said a local fan might stay a local fan if they live in Dortmund and in all the surroundings. There'll always be a Borussia Dortmund fan. But if Cristiano Ronaldo leaves Real Madrid for Juventus, the fans follow him to Juve. 
the international base is more interested in players than in clubs. So, you know, in the end, you can you might say to someone in years to come, I owe you support. Oh, I'm a, I'm a Neymar fan. Yeah. I'm a Cristiano. Well, like, not, mm. well, you mean PSG or you mean, no, I mean. I'm a, I'm a big fan of Pablo Zabaleta's. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Uh, I'm a big Zabaleta fan. Yeah. But it's an interesting, it's, look, at the very top, he's got a point. There probably are people out there. If so, say kids this Christmas. Um, they would have said, what do you want for Christmas? I want a Ronaldo shirt. So four months ago, mm. that would have been a Real Madrid shirt. Now it's definitely. going to be a Juve shirt. Definitely true of him. Definitely true of Messi. Yeah. The, there's a brand. The, the players have brands that are stronger than most clubs. Yeah. It's certainly in the case of Ronaldo and Messi, possibly a few others as well. I mean, Neymar's um, interesting because, you know, he's got this huge following, but he's not even really at the moment the best player at his own club, which will be eaten away. <laughs> yeah. And Mbappe is, you know. He I, is. I think there are kids as well, like young kids, primary school, sort of, you know, I go and watch my son, six years old, play football. They'll have three or four Messi shirts, a couple of Ronaldo shirts. They might have some Neymars. You might ask the kids who those players played for. They wouldn't be able to tell you. They know the player, not the club. Yeah, you know, it's interesting, isn't it? Mm. I mean, you know, you're going to be Arsene Wenger's hit on something there. And they were I saying, wonder if you buy a season ticket to a player. So irrespective <laughs> of if he moves yeah, in the January transfer club, window, the ticket still stands. You've made. You've just got to arrange your travel. You've made a commitment. You've got to go yeah. to a different. You've got to go to Turin instead of Madrid. But. For example, they said this week that uh, there was a story in one of the Spanish papers saying Messi may be able to leave uh, in a in a couple of years' time as long as he doesn't go to another high-profile team. Mm. And he's always said uh, when he's finished at Barcelona, go to Newell's, uh, Newell's old boys, the team that he supports in Argentina. And you think from their point of view, if that is the case, I hope they're geared up commercially for it. And they do a they nice thinking, big this is the fat last deal thing we need. with Nike or, yeah. or with Adidas. Because it's going to, I mean, it's going to go through the roof. How much money are they going to make? I mean, from you know, old there's going to be a lot of health and safety for them yeah. to worry about on match day or, because I don't know what their attendances are, <laughs> yeah. but they're very likely to quadruple at least. Well, I mean, it's a, it's a long old trip. It is not like a boys' weekend jolly to, no, you know, to, to Argentina, is it? But yeah. the. I may be arguing against myself here, or is it that? Is it the fact that it's Messi and Barcelona, and people want a Barcelona shirt because it's iconic, or will they follow him to the, to, you know, with respect to the backwaters of Argentina, um, and keep buying that shirt as well? Will they stick with him? I don't know. Or will he become a bit of a? Will people there are forget? certain players. There are certain players like Pele, possibly yeah. the most famous player of all time. Now Pele played for Santos, right, mm. and then he played for New York Cosmos, and yeah, but. Not many people know that about no. Pele. Pele. People think of Pele as a yellow and green shirt. Think that's all they see. The club yeah. career was not as famous as the international one. Yeah. So you I mean, know, but it, things that that's, that proves that says that tells you, doesn't it? It changes. It proves all, how much it's changed. It's, yeah. all, it's all about the cult of the player. Mm. Um, anyway, look, we go on a tangent there, but but it's true, isn't it? I thought it was a really interesting fact. Uh, he also said, Arsene Wenger, football was played for the club twenty years ago. These days, clubs do everything for the players. In the past, a player felt guilty when he played bad. These days, clubs feel guilty towards their players and ask them, what more can be done? Yeah. Well, that is true, isn't yeah. it? I yeah, mean, yeah, you know, yeah. because once they've made that huge investment in a mm. player, they're, actually, they're absolutely terrified of things going wrong. And that's why so, so often, which never happened in the old days, is that a manager who's not getting on with a star player will have to leave. Because it's easier to get rid of the manager than it ever is to a player. Yeah, I mean, yeah, you look at the Manchester United situation. I think most, pretty much everyone I've heard speaking about it agrees that if someone has to leave, it's not yeah. going to be Paul Pogba no. because they've spent too much money on him. It's fascinating, isn't it, really? Anyway, uh, we, we digress.
Um, what else are we going to talk about? I've got, I've got a runaway cow story for you. Want oh, that? lovely. Yeah, That's I love a, those. I mean, uh, so a cow gets loose, right, mm. in, uh, in Scotland and goes on a 20-second 20, 20 rampage. And you think, well, how much damage can a cow do in 20 seconds? Well, if it goes into a branch of Arnold Clark's, the Mazda <laughs> showroom, probably quite a lot. So it's gone in, as they say, and uh, it's destroyed. It says, well, it says here, not before destroying a wing mirror on a 23,000-pound Mazda MX-5 on the forecourt. So, I mean, it's taken out a wing mirror. It's not that bad. It's winged it. And we, yeah, yeah we, it's... a wing mirror, we've all had to replace those. They, they can sex this story up, the Telegraph, by saying it was it was a 23,000-pound... So, he's not actually damaged the car. It's just a Mazda. I mean, all due respect to Mazda drivers. <laughs> well, I think, hey... No, all I'm saying is, it's not going to cost an arm... And, you know, the car itself... Cost twenty three grand. Getting a new wing mirror is n- going to be a fraction of that. Well, you'll be so, honestly the electric ones. They'll be. Uh, mm. I bet that'll probably set you back about five hundred quid. But yeah, what about that? The cow apparently took a knock, but will be fit for Saturday. Is so it went back? <laughs> went back to auction. They don't, I've never seen a cow move at um, any particularly impressive speed. Yeah. To be honest, so. What'd you do now if you're the car? You, you're the salesman in there, and you're, you're thinking, would you take the cow on? Do you try and you sort of usher it out? I don't know. If, I mean, who knows? How do you deal with a rampaging cow? Is that right. what you're asking me? Well, it's, I well I'm glad you asked because I know. I doubt if it's in the uh, the Mazda salesperson's you, you stand your handbook. Ground, is it? You stand your ground. What, you like, fix it straight in the eye. Is that you sure that's a good idea? And you emit a low hum, is, and slowly you're this the out. cow will yeah. stop. Uh, come to a complete standstill and fall asleep. Look, the internet is a wonderful thing. What to do? Let me put this in. What to do when confronted when by a rampaging? Confronted cow. by a rampaging. Well, you look that cow. up. Shall I tell you about another Kevin Keegan disguise? Yeah, do that. Yeah. 1982 World Cup. He's got a bad back. You'll remember he was out for most of the tournament, wasn't he? Yeah. He roomed with Trevor Brookin. They were both injured. It was yeah, a disaster yeah, yeah. for Spain, Ron Green. Yeah, remember that? Yeah. The uh, national team manager couldn't do anything for Keegan's back, and Kevin's gone. I've got to go to my doctor in Hamburg mm. that used to treat me in Hamburg. He's, he's got magic hands. He's the only one who knows how to do it. And Ron Greenwood said, listen, we've got West Germany up next. It will be a national, it will be a source of national disgrace and embarrassment mm. if it gets out that you've had to go, you've had to leave Spain in the middle of the World Cup and travel to Germany to have a German doctor fix your spine so you can then play against Germany. Right. It yeah. cut, you know, it's embarrassing, Kevin. <laughs> and Kevin said, well, we've tried it your way, Ron. Now we're going to try it my way. So Ron says, all right, I'll let you go, but only on a condition that you promise me hmm. that no one knows that you've gone well, to Germany. In, well, so that's Kevin's when, a master of That's when guys. Kevin pulls out. No, he goes, he, addressing the reader directly, Kevin writes, well, as you'll have gathered by now, I am a master of disguise. <laughs> so he gets it. He cobbles together a disguise in a hotel in Bilbao, and the only person who knows is Trevor Brookin, yeah. who I think assists him with the disguise. He disguises himself. Then it shows, it's sign of the times, player power. He didn't get flown there by the FA. He borrowed a hatchback car off the receptionist at the hotel in Bilbao that the England squad was staying in yeah. and left in the dead of night, disguised, to drive to Madrid, fly from Madrid to Hamburg, see the doctor, get his back manipulated, put his disguise back on, get all the way back, and sit on the bench against West Germany, fully fixed up, disguise off. And you know what? Ron Greenwood didn't even give him five minutes off the bench. <laughs> All that disguise for nothing. Yeah, I'd love to have known the... the anyway, just very quickly, um, stop. If, you, if you're confronted by a cow, stop, look and listen. 
Uh, it says mm. on entering the field. Well, you're in, you're in the uh, well, Arnold Clark yeah. showroom in Sterling. Trying to avoid getting between the cow and their calves. There's no calf there. Mm. Be prepared for cattle to react to your presence, especially if you have a dog with you. Well, mm. you wouldn't take your None dog. None of this is relevant to the situation. Move quickly and quietly, and if possible, walk around the herd. Well, there was no, there was no herd. There was an MX3 this or something. This is useless advice. Keep your dog close. Didn't have a dog with me, or on a short lead. Didn't mm. have a lead, didn't have a dog. Mm. An under-effective. This is all good advice, but not in a car showroom. So the I internet, would follow my advice. So much also, a, a, a sharp, a sharp, not overly aggressive, but a sharp rap on the nose usually confuses and disorientates most animals. Well, what about that? Everything you're saying is probably wrong, but I, then you, you say it with such authority that I'm, I, I, I'm, I'm telling I believe you, mate. You. I'm you're telling like you. Super remember vet. that if you're ever confronted by any animal like in Paul the wild, Paul Sykes and that shark. Yeah, yeah. Like shark, he, <laughs> yeah. Hit, he hit it on the nose. He did. If, you, if it works on a shark, it's going to work on a cow, mate. Right, okay. Great advice there, but don't take any notice of it, is what I'm saying to you, the talk sport listeners this afternoon. Don't listen to what Sam is saying. It's all rubbish. Well, Not all of it, but related to well, cows and you know, sharks. Listen, when you, when you find yourself in these situations, to be honest, you know, gut instinct takes over okay. anyway. So, The Hawksby and Jacobs Daily Podcast from Talk Sport. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. The Hawksby and Jacobs Daily Podcast. I've been Paul Hawksby and Sam Delaney here on TalkSport. Uh, yes, fans will recognise that song. That's uh, Roundabout, now piano arrangement. And uh, that comes from the Piano Odyssey and the new album. Rick Waitman. Rick, good to see you. Uh, great to be back, sir. Yeah. And you, it's uh, interesting. So it's it's you, piano and orchestra, isn't it? Yeah, it's me, piano, string orchestra and uh, a choir. Fantastic. All yeah, it was need. great fun. Great fun to do. Um, I like doing things like that. The, uh, the piano is, is my great love. So uh, just to do some orchestrations around pieces that I really love. I've done some Beatles pieces, uh, some David Bowie pieces, mm. 
uh, you know, some of my own uh, uh, Paul Simon piece. It's just great fun to do, and uh, out playing it on tour, it's all great fun, brilliant. Really? So, how did how did, um, how did you kind of come to choose these songs? It must have, must have started with the great pool of songs and sort of narrowed it down. You're right. There was there was uh, it, there was this enormous list, but basically, it's tunes that apart from the pieces of mind that are on there and the yes pieces tunes that people know that they will recognize without hearing the words mm. you know, there's, there's certain tunes i mean not particularly on this album like amazing grace where if you hear the tune you go that's amazing grace yeah yeah you don't need to hear the words so songs like the boxer from paul simon uh while my guitar gently weeps george harrison's the moment you hear it you go oh i know what that is that's yeah so it was picking tunes that everybody uh recognizes instantly without singing because I don't sing. You don't want to hear me sing. <laughs> you did really you ever know. do backing vocals with the Yes? Or did you do any of that or not? Uh, no, no, I get out of all of that. I say, look, I'm too busy running around the keyboards. I haven't got time. <laughs> <laughs> and now the Bowie song is uh, Wild-Eyed Boy from Free Cloud. Yeah. And that was at, that would have been at the time when you were you were working with Bowie, wouldn't it? When yeah, it was uh, originally... I did Space Oddity with him in 1969, and uh, he asked me to do a couple of other tracks on with on piano with him. One of which was Wild Eye Boy from Free Cloud, which I love this song. Um, it was when he was sort of he just moved from being Davy Jones, which is his real name, to, mm. uh, as the folk singer, and was starting to really find his way what he wanted to do musically. And he was writing uh, stories, stories to songs, which Wild Eye Boy from Free Cloud is. And I often say to people, if you Want to know how he ended up as Hunky Dory with you know Life on Mars and all those pieces which I did with him? Yeah. Listen to Wild Eyed Boy from Free Club because that will shows his you know his progression as to how he got there. Yeah, it was a was that B, it was a B side of uh, it was a B yeah. side of Space Oddity. You're right, mm. but they, he did a version later on which I did a piano on as well, where Tony Visconti, his producer, did uh, an orchestral arrangement with it. That's the version to listen to. So if you Google Wild Eyed Boy from Free Club but find the orchestral version, that's the one to listen to. Was he a, a pianist in Himself. I mean, you know, we played guitar. Did he play, did he play a bit of piano? Did David, he, 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 he was a vamper. Oh, okay. I mean, when, <laughs> when we did um, uh, Hunky Dory, uh, and we came to do uh, Oh You Pretty Things, mm. you know, I was I was going to play it, and I, I actually said he should play it, and he, he said, well, why? And I said, because if you're going to sing along when you're playing, you, you, nobody sings and plays in perfect time yeah. unless you're doing it yourself. Uh, so I said, the only way you'll get it absolutely right is, is if you, uh, you'll be happy with it, is if you vamp. So he did the vamping bits, oh, you pretty things, then literally jumped off the stall and I took over when the vamping bits were finished. <laughs> did you spot, I mean, you'd worked with a lot of people at that stage. I mean, did, did you kind of spot the greatness in him at that, at that time? Oh, yeah. I mean, he, he, was, he was the most focused person I ever worked with ever. Uh, he knew just how to work in the studio. Uh, he used to have the music about 75% ready. And he, he said to me, if we're going 75% ready, then the other 25% is the unknown. And that's what likely is likely to happen. Mm. Yeah, and uh, Which is the same in all, all walks of life. You know, it's the same in in music, same in sport. You know, yeah. I'm, I'm, I, I know from, from what I've been lucky enough to see over the years that in, you can train X amount in when you go out on the pitch, that X percentage happens and yeah. you, can't, you can't plan for it. And David was like that. And... Uh, Great to work with and great engineers. He always picked musicians that he felt could do something for the music. He never uh, just got people in because they were, they were good, which is why he changed his bands and his musicians a lot. Mm. He'd write a piece and go, I know who'll be good for that. And he used to leave you very free. I was given total free reign to play whatever I liked on wow. his stuff. 
You were kind of at one time, very early on, a kind of jobbing session musician, wouldn't you? And I, yeah. I saw a list of stuff you've played on over the years. And, uh, Terrifying, and a, eclectic it? old mix of stuff. So you just get called in like any other, say, come and do a couple of hours on this or whatever? Or... Yeah, there were things like, there was people called fixers mm. back in the late 60s, early 70s. And they would fix sessions. So you get a call from a fixer, say, okay, you're going to be in Morgan Studios, 10 till 1, 2 till 5. Then you're going to be at CTS from uh, the following day from 10 till 1 or 2 till 5. And often than not, you'd arrive and have no idea who it is you, and you're going to play for. And they throw the music up and you play it. I mean, you could literally in one day, well, in fact, in one day I did do Clive Dunn, uh, the follow-up to Grandad, which was called <laughs> Grandma, I Love You. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah which yeah. was, I mean, it's, oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. that, uh, <laughs> on the same day I did a, a, a wildlife program for for Anglia and then did a Black Sabbath thing in the evening <laughs> yeah. and that's what life was like fantastic and so you say you come back you love the piano you've come yeah. back to it and you kind of one thing people knew you for in the 70s was the kind of great big stack of keyboards mm. played with both hands wearing a cape still got it yeah still do it <laughs> but ultimately it comes back from your point of view to, to the to the source does it yeah I mean, I'd still, I mean I've just come back with, with, with yesterday John Anderson and Trevor Ray we've been out in America doing a big tour and yeah there were the 20 odd keyboards was up there there was the cape any friend of batman you know i was up there <laughs> doing my doing my bit which is great but the interesting thing about a piano when it whittles it all down it's much harder because yeah. you're on your own you know and you and you know the old man rule you know if it itches, you scratch it you, <laughs> you can if you're in a band you wait for a guitar solo and then you scratch yeah and you can't if you're sitting at the piano yeah on, on, yeah. on your own uh, you you haven't got a second to to breathe so it's 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 great and i do love the piano i must admit you used to take it, you'd kind of be playing some uh, some uh, Norma drone somewhere in the state, and you'd take a sort of uh, a, a full sort of curry dinner out there, wouldn't you, for, for the show? I did once. It did happen, I must admit. Um, <laughs> actually, during the show, it's the truth. You know, uh, we were playing Manchester Free Trade Hall. This is way back in 73. Yeah. And we were doing an album, which I didn't particularly like, with yes, called uh, Tales from, well, I called it Tales from Toby's Graphic Go-Kart. It was... <laughs> Topographic Ocean. And that I was did, a three-album set, wasn't it? That was it? That it was, was a three-year set. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, <laughs> and there was one bit where I didn't have a busting lot to do. And back then, my, my roadie Toby, uh, as was then, used to hide underneath the Hammond organ. I mean, it, in the pretense if something went wrong to fix it, but it was mainly to hand me up drinks because I used to drink then. <laughs> and uh, he just shouted at me. He said, what are you doing after the show? And I'm, I'm going to have a curry. He shouted, what are you going to have? And I said, I'm going to have chicken, have chicken vindaloo, pilau rice, bindi bhaji, bombay aloo, two papadom and a stuffed parata. <laughs> and, he just like, and about 20 minutes later, you know that, and everybody listening will know that smell of when you've got yeah. an Indian takeaway yeah, yeah. In, a, in the brown paper bag. It mm. just amplifies it. It's enormous. Yeah. And it woke most of the audience up as well. And I, and I said, what's that? He said, you carry I said, after the show. And he went, it'll get cold. So I laid it all out over the organ and ate it. <laughs> <laughs> but you kind of got this balance, Rick, where you kind of, uh, the kind of mad pomposity of sort of prod rock at that time. Yeah. But you sort of sent it up as well. And, you know, you, you kind of, you did it with a sense of humor. It's quite a fine line, isn't there? So you don't want to lose yeah. the audience that buy into this. No, no, there is a You've got to see the, the, the madness of it. You're absolutely right. I mean, I do love the music. And, and it, you're right, a lot of it is... Is is pompous. A lot of it is is showing off. Mm. It's showboating. Yeah, that's mm. what that's a lot of it is. And there's nothing nothing wrong with that. But you've got to have a sort of a fine line. And uh, so yeah, yeah. I mean, I have a, a a lot of fun when I'm doing it. But uh, I do I take the music seriously. But everything around it. No. But you, yeah. you know the, the musicians within that world. The, your, your your you know your contemporaries who did take it very very seriously. <laughs> 
Yeah. Did it ever annoy them or wind them up when they thought that you were kind of taking the mick a bit out of the whole scene? Well, I, I wasn't really taking taking the mick. I was just trying to get things in, in proportion. Yeah. Yeah. You know, the, my, my late father, who, who was brilliant, always said there's two yous. There's the one that's performing and then there's the one when you come off. Mm. Don't ever confuse the two. Mm. And I think that goes for all walks of life as yeah. well. If you can get that right, it's okay. I mean, there are certain things in in prog rock, in the same with with we, you know, with all sorts of music, with with sort of punk, with new way, you name it. There's certain bits that are just I just go, what? Yeah. What on earth is that all about? And there's other bits you go, yeah, it's really pretty cool, you know. Yeah. Do you, um, you've got a track on there. You've got Jane Seymour from Six Wives on the on the yeah. album as well, haven't you? So you've kind of dipped into some of your solos. Yeah, stuff. it was very prophetic. Cause I'm on number four myself. <laughs> the, uh, <laughs> the, um, no, the uh, that was the the idea of the record company. Strangely enough, and they mm. said, "Why don't you? Do, we'd like you to do Jane Seymour." And I said, "Well, I did it on church organ." And they said, "What did you write it on?" I said, "Well, the piano." Mm. They went, "Well, there you go then." <laughs> and I said, "I don't think it'll work, but it, but it does work, you know." So I said, "I'll try it." So I tried it, and it really did work well. Yeah, it was it, that was that was good fun to do. Mm. You uh, I remember years later, you took uh, Journey at the Centre. You, you did you did the ice show. We talked about this briefly before, but that was yeah. that was quite a an undertaking. Yeah, wasn't I did it? The, I did a massive tour with with, with uh, Journey Centre of the Earth, and then the King Arthur. I did uh, did the, the ice. Oh, show. sorry, King Arthur. Yeah, yeah. which was. Um, yeah. I want to do it again because it was just so <laughs> preposterous. <laughs> that I, I want to do it again. I, I, I've, I don't think I've ever had quite so much fun in my in my life. It was. Uh, it was fraught with problems, if I seem to remember from the book. Oh, wasn't it? getting it, getting it done. Yeah. Oh yeah, because nobody wanted to do it. I mean, ice skating in 1975 was not popular. <laughs> I mean, Torvald and, and Dean hadn't even been nah. born. Yeah. And I, I, I loved ice skating and they used to show it uh, like on ITV and on a Sunday afternoon when nobody was watching yeah. mainly coming from Russia yeah. uh, with, and, and they used to quite a lot of my music the Russians because it's instrumental so it's, it suited and I, I just liked the ice skating I just thought hey this is really good no one's ever really made use of this properly mm. so I told my management I said I want to do King Arthur on ice <laughs> and, and they just they just laughed at me Yeah, and they said no you can't no you can't no you can't so what I did I went and told my great friend Ray Coleman who was editor of Melody Maker back mm. then I went and met him for a drink and he said what are you doing and I said look don't tell anybody uh, but I'm going to do King Arthur and Ice at Wembley Pool <laughs> knowing full well that he'd print it <laughs> he, he printed it big headline King Arthur on Ice I phoned me I said I'm sorry Rick it was too good of me I went oh well there you go you're going to have to do it now yeah, yeah. so the money <laughs> turned around and said we've got no choice we're going to go ahead with it <laughs> The Hawksby and Jacobs Daily Podcast Rick Wakeman uh, from uh, his uh, new album, Piano Odyssey. He's uh, touring at the moment. You can catch him on tour. And uh, you kind of few gigs in, aren't you? But you've got a fair few left right up to the end of the year, Rick. Yeah, you go up to the 22nd of December, I think. Yeah. Oh, Union Chapel will be a nice gig. Yeah, there's, they've just added another one for Union Chapel on the 17th, I think. 17th of December, yeah. You'll find all the dates uh, online. And that was the, the, the Bowie track we were talking about a little bit earlier on. So you are a massive football fan. I uh, am. You were a, I mean, you've been a director of a couple of clubs. One, 
Brentford. You're involved with Brentford and uh, uh, Philadelphia as well. You, you were in. You were an owner of a side. You? I was one of the owners. Yeah, that was great. 1976 when uh, when they started the original American soccer with Phil Woosnam. Yeah, yeah. Phil was was the sort of like the big big boss, and uh, my agent over there, uh, a guy called uh, Frank Barcelona. Uh, what a great name. Oh, I know. <laughs> so you can guess where his influences came from. Yeah. He said, hey, Ringwood, let's, let's, let's buy Philadelphia. So my manager, myself, uh, Peter Frampton had a chunk. Um, uh, there was a few of us bought into this. Yeah. And we had a big meeting, and uh, Frank said he knew nothing about football at all. We had a great stadium, everything. He said, well, well you and Brian better go and buy a team. So it was like a kids in a sweet shop. Yeah. So that's uh, how I came to uh, buy Alan Ball and uh, uh, Johnny Giles and, uh, and Peter Osgood. Got to meet uh, Laurie McNenemy, yeah. who I think thought I was an alien at first. We're great friends now. But, yeah. uh, this the guy, long hair. The long hair and the yeah. things. I think I had green PVC trousers on and a, and a, and a couple of pigs in a compromising position on my T-shirt. So, <laughs> Laurie's not going to take kindly Well, he's, to that. you said he was... He's, uh, Ex-Sergeant Major, wasn't he? Well, he so, was, yeah. And, he's, yeah. Uh, and I said, uh, I said well, he said, why are you here? I said, what a bail and ball. And Peter Osgood was there. And yeah. He went, hmm. He said, <laughs> how much How much are you going to pay him? I said, a lot more than you are. <laughs> I said, and they get a house and a car. And he said, well, they'd be fools not to go there, wouldn't they? Yeah. You must and, have had some fun, though, with the oh, guys when they were out Great fun. And we bought other players after that. Frank Worthington. I'm yeah. Born um, Henry, Terry Mancini from... Yeah, Kubiak, he, he he loved it. It was mm-hmm. it was absolutely brilliant. I, it was just too soon. Mm, yeah, it was just a bit too soon. But the whole idea was right, and in fact, it is very much the template for what's going on yeah, now. Yeah. now. But uh, it it worked very well. In the end, the franchise uh, got sold on, and um, uh, Alan Ball finished his days at Vancouver. Mm. But the, I made so many friends doing that because one of the great things was there was a lot of footballers coming to the end of their careers yeah. here who, uh, and there wasn't anywhere to go. You either mm. go to the Nun League or whatever. And, uh, uh, and this was a real pension pox. They got paid very well. Uh, they had nice lifestyle everywhere that they went. And I made so many friends that we took over there. Mm. In fact, Alan Ball, when he came back, we remained great, great friends right up until when he passed away. Yeah. Alan said he was able to go in, I think it was at Portsmouth, and do the youth the youth teams, which he basically worked for nothing because mm. he could afford to. Yeah, which he could, made so much um, yeah, America. Yeah, he made enough in America to be able to do what he loved and, and healthy. So, you know, I think there was, even though it sort of collapsed at the time, mm. it was... It was too early, which was why sure. it collapsed. And also, uh, it did help an awful lot of players. Yeah, I mean, uh, Frank Worthington still has great stories about those yeah, days. Yeah, yeah, I'm you sure. Were, so you were, it sounds like you were a hands-on. What were you, the chairman or the... No, I wasn't. The, there was no such thing really as a chairman. The president was Frank Barcelona because <laughs> Frank, he wasn't the president. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, but um, uh, I remember our first game was against uh, Washington Diplomats, of which Jimmy Hill was the... He was the, the, the man who spearheaded Washington diplomats. Mm. And uh, both, this is an absolute true story. I don't want to get away with this. It's not rude or anything. Okay. But I arrived in Philadelphia. I'd fly, I was living in Switzerland at the time. I, wrote, I, flew, into, I flew into Philadelphia. I arrived at the, uh, I think it was the Holiday Inn, big hotel that had these big ballrooms. And uh, sort of went in there about midnight. Uh, and, the, and the game was the following day, Sunday at like two o'clock. And, and I saw Ozzy. Osgood, and, and, and I said, how are you? He said, I need to go to bed, Rick. And I said, 
why, is, why are you up? He said, party, the mayor's throwing a party for us. And I said, you're joking. He said, no, he said, they're all in there. And, I, and uh, Richard Dennis was the manager. Mm. And I said, where's, where's, where's Richard? He said, he's gone to bed. I went, oh, great. So I went the, and there's all the, pla- and there's this massive party. All, everybody who was anybody in Philadelphia is there for this party. And they've got to go, there's champagne, it's, it's, fly, it's going. And uh, we had quite a few of what I call, um, which I love dearly, of the naughty boys, okay. Of, 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 you know, <clears throat> yeah. People like Henry Terry Mays here. That like, oh, Rick, this is great. I love it over here. Went, oh my god! <laughs> and, uh, so got them all to bed. <laughs> got them all to bed. So waiting for the game the next day, and I'm sitting in the in in the box, and and Jimmy Hill, who I'd never met before, mm. but again we became great great friends because of his association with Brentford and yeah, yeah. before. Mm. And he came and sat behind me. He introduced, said, "Hello, my name's uh, Jimmy." I said, "Yeah, I know who you are, Jimmy." And he said, "Oh, you're the rock musician." Just I said, "Yeah, yeah." No. And I said, "How's it going?" He said, uh, "And he said, I think you've got a. He said, you've got a fine side you put together." So well, thank you. He said, uh, "He said, I think uh, you, you should easily win today." And I said, "Don't think so." Actually. <laughs> <laughs> and he said, "Well, Ricky said between you and me, he said uh, I, I think you will." He said, "You're not going to believe this." He said, uh, "We flew up today." He said, "But last night I discovered at midnight." He said that the mayor of Washington threw a big party. For the- <laughs> <laughs> they were all having a big party up until midnight, <laughs> and, uh, and I looked and I said, "Reeks of a nil nil." Yeah, and it was, and it was nil nil. It was a very slow paced game. Yeah. <laughs> it was nil nil, and it was that they had this stupid thing that they used to do there, which is a, a strange penalty shootout, which started midway. That's right. Yeah, Rodney them. Marsh has always talked about that. He's always been a big advocate of that thing of running from the halfway line, having to take the goalkeeper on. Oh, that yeah, the system. Yeah, there was. It, it, it was. It was fun to watch, but we lost that 3-0 so oh. I didn't I never really liked that Brentford you were involved with as oh, well because yeah. that's your, your local club and City you're always a fan of, you keep an eye out for City as well didn't yeah, you yeah I mean Brentford came back my father was a fanatical Brentford su- su- supporter and I first went there in 1953 mm. uh, to see my first game uh, with the days of Jim Towers and uh, uh, and Jerry Francis and Jerry Cake Bread in goal and all those things wow. and that was my, my great great love and you're still taking games now. You say you're kind of equidistant yeah. between Portman Road and Carroll Road. I am, yeah. I go, I go to games whenever I can. Uh, I don't care whether it's a, a conference game or or whether it's a, a League One, League Two. I, I like going to see games. Yeah. You always go along and you go, I know that player. Yeah, yeah, mm. yeah. That's what I really, I really, really love because yeah. you go, I know. And you can often see, especially in the lower leagues, especially in in conference or in the the Northern Conference or the the Southern, you, you can. See a, a lot of so-called players in their senior years, and yeah. a lot of real youngsters yeah, yeah. coming through, and uh, it, that's that's great to see. I like that. There we are. That was this afternoon's show. Yeah, he's uh, he's great value, isn't he? Yeah, top top, top guy. Great stories uh, from Philadelphia. Yeah, and you are back tomorrow. I'm back with Jason Cundy and John Motson. Who would have thought it? What a trio. The trio the listening public have been waiting for. (laughs) Brilliant. Okay. Thanks for downloading us. Uh, I'm back on Monday with Andy. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project... There's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves 
without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1, only from Rust-Oleum. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.